I join with Nathan and the other brethren in welcoming you here this morning. We're glad that you've chosen to come and worship with us. We have a wonderful crowd here this morning. If you consider yourself a visitor, we're especially glad that you're here. We hope that you know that you're our honored guest, and we'd encourage you and invite you back at any time that you're able to come and be with us. I'm going to start with a question. What's the most important thing you're going to do today? When you look back tonight, when today ends, and you look back, what is the most important thing that you will have done today? We're going to get to the reading of the morning a little later in the, in the lesson, but I want you to think about for just a second that road to Emmaus and those men who were there after Christ was crucified, and they're there walking on that road, and somebody comes up and meets up with them. Who was that? What's the most important thing, the most significant thing that you will do today? For those of you who have been with us, you know that uh, over the last couple of months we've been looking at Acts, the second chapter, at the beginning of the church. In Acts, the second chapter, in verse 42, I want to go back to certain things there. And we want to look at things that have never changed. And we've looked at these, and I hope that the repetition will put this in your mind, that every day you will understand there are certain things in life that will not change. That no matter how much man may try to change them, there are certain things in life that will not change. In James, the first chapter, and verse 17, the Bible says every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, and every perfect gift is from above, and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. There's something about God that no man can change. No matter how much in our mind we may look and say there are certain things about God that changes, that it might change with society. But you'll notice that James says, here's one truth about God that you have to know. There's no variableness. He's the same God that He was from eternity to eternity. The same God who created Adam created you. And the same God who led his people out of Egypt is leading you today. Notice Hebrews, the 13th chapter and verse 8, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever, the Son of God, the one who came and voluntarily gave his life for you, dying on the cross and shedding his blood, and on the third day rising again, going to be on the right hand of the Father. That's the same Jesus Christ who died that day on the cross. The same Christ who rose again. The same Christ who today sits on the right hand of the Father. No changes. First Peter, the first chapter, and verse 24, For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man is the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower thereof falleth away, but the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. 
You know, sometimes we would like to say, no, but that changes with my moods. It changes with my desires. It changes with my beliefs. God doesn't change for us and our desires and our perspectives. His Son doesn't change from generation to generation to fit the circumstances. And His Word doesn't change just because the times and the seasons change around us. The Father, the Son, and the Word. They never change. But what about us? In Acts, the second chapter, last month we went through the first of these. The Bible says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking bread and in prayers. And we went through the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. And I talked about how those two are connected. Uh, based on the grammatical, the grammar there, there's a comma. Uh, the apostles' doctrine was something new for those Jews on the day of Pentecost. They had been taught a certain way. They had been taught the scriptures. They had been taught certain traditions. And the apostles' doctrine, them coming together for this new idea, the idea that Christ had fulfilled that law that they were used to. This morning, we're going to look at the next one, that being the breaking of bread. But I want to remind you before we start the breaking of bread, that the Bible here says that they continued steadfastly. That translation is to be earnest towards, to persevere, to be constantly diligent, to attend, to adhere close, closely to. I want to remind you that the church at this time went through the most drastic change they might have called it a pandemic they went through a change that had been handed down from the time of Moses for hundreds and hundreds of years these Jews had been taught away from the time of their grandfather's grandfather's And Christ comes. And on the day of Pentecost, everything was different for them. Except for the Father, the Son, and the Word. And I want you to notice that it says that they were intentional about the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. And they were intentional about breaking bread. In Acts the second chapter it says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking bread and in prayers. I want you to notice real quickly there in verse 42, if you were to look at what they were intentional about, those things that they did uh, during this great change in life. 
You'll notice that it says apostles' doctrine and fellowship, breaking bread and prayers. We would call those spiritual things. But I want you to look down at verse 46 because uh, it seems as though sometimes uh, we look at this breaking of bread uh, and we like to debate. We like to argue. That's what guys do, right? And by guys, I mean men and women, people, Christians. This is what we do, humans. See, because if we can debate about what that is, then, then maybe we'll show that we know a little more than somebody else that, that we can one-up somebody else. And so I want to make sure that we understand this this morning. In Acts the second chapter, both of these verses occur there. Acts the second chapter in verse 42 says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking bread and in prayers. Verse 46, if you skip down there, if you're using a Bible or, uh, a, ver- or a uh, smart device there, your cell phone or an iPad or something, If you'll skip skip down to verse 46, it says, And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. So I'm going to ask you, what is the most important thing you're going to do today? I'll give you a little hint. It's going to be to eat and drink. What did the early church do intentionally was it lunchtime supper time maybe this morning's breakfast or was it the lord's supper that we gather around this table today for why is that important It's important because the Bible says it's very important to salvation that you and I eat and drink. Is it important for you physically to eat and to drink? And the answer is absolutely. Did you think about this morning? Or every other day this week, how important it is for you to eat and to drink spiritually. You know, I had an awful experience this week. Uh, Our county attorney is out of the country. He actually went to Mexico City for vacation. I have no idea why, but he did. Uh, And unfortunately, I got appointed on a uh, mental health emergency detention. Uh, It's a young lady I'm familiar with, a young lady whose family I've known for uh, some time, and and I've known her for some time, and uh, she's in a very unfortunate predicament. Um, And I'm going to tell you, I saw firsthand in talking to this young lady who I've known, who had no recognition of much reality about what happens to the body when you don't give it food and water. When you don't feed it, it's nourishment. When you don't give it what, it's ne- what it needs. And it made me recognize how some of us pay a lot of attention to this physical body. 
and what we put in it and what we feed it and what we supply it nutritionally without giving much thought to the spirit as to whether or not we feed it and nourish it and supply it. I want you to know in verse 46 here in Acts, the second chapter, in verse 46, did eat their meat. That word translates nourishment. Uh, so we know that in verse 46, that as Luke is writing here, uh, the Acts of the Apostles, as he's writing this down, we know that in verse 46, he's actually talking about a meal. He's actually talking about a casserole. Because that's what meals are made of. That was, uh, he's actually talking about the nourishment that they physically put into their body. So I want you to tell you, I want to tell you this morning uh, that I think you could look at scriptures and scripture and say uh, that the fellowship that is gained around a table at your home with friends and loved ones and strangers is important. But I want you to know. That I hope this morning when you're done, you'll recognize that it pales in comparison to the fellowship and communion that we'll get around this table in just a moment. In Acts the 20th chapter, it says, Upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow, and continued his speech until midnight. Why is this verse important? What's the example that it gives us? In Acts, the 20th chapter, there in verse 7, Paul gives us an example. Uh, and we use that term a lot, uh, an example, and why do we follow this? I'll tell you why we follow this, and we say this is an example. What did the disciples gather for? Did they gather for a luncheon? Did they gather for a supper time? You know, I often tell my kids that there's a scriptural breakfast, lunch, and supper time. Because breakfast has to be eaten in the morning and it has to be eaten before 8 o'clock or it's not breakfast. We have this weird thing called brunch. And everybody knows the lunch hour is from 12 to 1. And if you eat outside of that time, you're not eating lunch and you're breaking a really big tradition. And then there's a dinner time that has to happen after 5. And for some reason, I have a child that's decided it can happen as late as 10 o'clock. I don't know who raised her. You know what Paul wasn't doing? He wasn't worried about any of those really cool traditions. He was worried about his soul and the souls of every disciple there. What was going on? They were having church. How do you know they're having church? You don't have to understand any great translation here. What were they doing? They were gathering on the first day of the week, and Paul was preaching. You know what we call that? We call that church. So we know it happened at 10.30 on that morning. <laughs> if 
for those of you who thought that was serious, that too was a joke. I don't know what time on the first day of the week they met, but here's what I know. I know the Bible says very clearly they met on the first day of the week. And when they met on the first day of the week, they came together, the disciples and Paul. And when they met together, Paul preached to them. What was the most important thing in their church service? That had to be Paul's preaching, right? It had to be Paul's preaching. I'll tell you, it had to be Paul's preaching because he preached for a long time. And surely Paul was one of the good ones. You ever looked at church like that? You ever looked at church for the songs that are led? I'm going to tell you what, there's some great song leaders in this congregation. There are some great song leaders with some beautiful voices. Did you come for the singing this morning? I wonder how many songs they sang that morning. I wonder how many people in Acts 20 showed up because they knew it would be Paul who would be preaching and they wanted to hear that voice. Or I wonder how many actually were sitting there in that meeting (laughs) regretting that they had come on Paul's Sunday. He preached till midnight. (laughs) I, I mean, there's at least one man he put to sleep. You know, sometimes we make a church service all about that. What's pleasing to me, to my ear. What's pleasing to me as to the singing or the preaching or the words in the prayer. And let me tell you, every single one of those are massively important. But pale in comparison to the breaking of bread. First Corinthians, the 11th chapter. That is incorrect. Just like the term incorrect. That is incorrect. That'd be First Corinthians, the 10th chapter. If you go back to First Corinthians, the 10th chapter, in verse 20, Paul writes, When you come together, therefore, into one place. No, that is the 11th chapter. Thanks, Ian. I got the head nod. It is the 11th chapter. 1 Corinthians, the 11th chapter, verse 20. When you come together, therefore, in one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, everyone taketh before other his own supper, and one is hungry and another is drunken. What? Have you not houses to eat and to drink in? Or despise you the church of God and shame them that have not? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. The church at Corinth, as we have studied, and if you don't know about the church at Corinth, I'm going to give you just a brief thing about this specific statement of Paul. Whatever the church of Corinth had done to the Lord's Supper, the gathering around this table, when the church at Corinth came together, they made it something very different than the breaking of bread. They had made it this meal where all of a sudden there were people who were condescending people who were making sure their view of the pecking order was right and here's what I mean by that he says that some had great meals there at the feast around this table 
Some had made such a mockery about coming around this table to the Lord's Supper that they came drunk to it. There were some who had nothing and those who had something to eat wanted to make sure that those who had nothing realized just how much they had. I want you to notice that Paul asked a question that we as men have used uh, over the generations to make something of that probably wasn't worth the fight, but it's there. It says what? Have you not houses to eat in? What are you going to do around this table? In just a few minutes, I'll tell you what you're going to do. You're going to eat, and you're going to drink. And if you don't eat, and you don't drink around this table, you have no life with Christ. And yet Paul asks the question, have you not houses to eat in? Can't you go and eat those meals and have those fancy feasts somewhere else? Because when it's time to come around this table, there's a reason we do it. Now, to 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter. I, I got the wink again. This is, in fact, 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter. Uh, I want you to notice how important this was to Paul. There's very few things that Paul devoted two chapters to when he was talking to Corinth. And yet the Lord's Supper was so important that he devoted 1 Corinthians the 10th chapter and 1 Corinthians the 11th chapter to coming around this table. And I want you to notice what he says. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of of the body of Christ. When you come around this table, you're going to eat. But what you're going to eat is the flesh of the Son. When you come around this table, you're going to drink, but what you're drinking is the blood of Christ. It is the communion that we have with the Son. Getting to the reading of the morning in Luther 24 chapter, you'll notice that these men... As these men are going uh, along the way, Jesus asks the question, what is it y'all are talking about? And he says, uh, they say, have you not heard about the news, what's been going on? Do you not have Facebook? I mean, everyone knows about what's going on in Jesus Christ, the great prophet, the one who came to teach. It says in verse 27, that Jesus there, beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures concerning himself. So here is Jesus on this road to, Dema- uh, to Emmaus. And on this road to Emmaus, where he meets these disciples, it says they start, he starts preaching to them. And he teaches them Moses and he teaches the prophets. And I want you to notice it says... He expounded unto them in all the scriptures concerning himself. That's a lot of preaching. That's a lot of preaching that he went back to all of the scriptures from the Old Testament that pointed to him. Even if he was talking real fast, that's a lot of scripture to go through. 
Notice there in verse 30, it came to pass as he sat at meat with them, he took bread and blessed it and brake and gave to them and their eyes were opened and they knew him and he vanished out of their sight. You know, in Hebrews, the 13th chapter, as Paul was writing to the Hebrews, he said, make sure that you entertain strangers. Because in doing so, you may be entertaining angels unaware. I want you to take yourself back to this meal. You see that what came to pass as Jesus sat at meat, that was a common meal. So obviously we know it was about 6 p.m. Maybe for some of you it was at 5. Depends on time zone. He sat at meat with them. But sometime during this supper that he was having with these guys, it says this. It says he took bread, he broke it, and he gave it to them. It's at that moment that their eyes were opened and they knew him and he vanished out of their sight. Jesus Christ had been preaching to them all this time. Jesus Christ had been sharing all of the prophecies of him with them. Jesus Christ sat right there for the mashed potatoes and the mac and cheese and the roast. And yet at some point he took the bread and he broke it and he gave it to them. And they went. That was the Son of God. I want you to notice what they did with that realization. It says in verse 33, they rose up the same hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven gathered together and them that were with them, saying, The Lord is risen indeed and hath appeared to Simon. And they told what things were done in the way and how he was known of them in breaking of bread. You know, I said earlier that that time that we have with family and friends and strangers and loved ones and everybody else to sit down and fellowship as a, at, a, at a table is certainly important. You know, if these men hadn't had that opportunity, I don't know if their eyes would have been opened. But here's what I know. I know that Jesus sat at their table and ate their meal. And they talked about salvation. They talked about the Son of God. And he broke bread. Which one of the breaking of bread was this well here's what we know we know he was sitting at meat so we know this was a common meal but I want to take you to what was probably seen at first as a common meal in Luke the 22nd chapter as Jesus was there with his apostles. When he was there at supper. When he was there for a common meal. And they were gathered around the table. 
It says he took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave unto them, saying, This is my body which is given for you, this do in remembrance of me. Likewise also the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you. That is the inspired word of the institution of the Lord's Supper. You ever thought about what's important about those words? You know, there's a lot of things we could pull out and we could look at and we could say, here's what's important. It's the bread and it's the type of bread and it's the looking of the bread. It's the fruit of the vine and the container that it's in and the type that it is. Because the Bible, in fact, says that it was bread that he took and gave thanks and he broke it and he gave to them. So let's argue over what type of bread it was. In fact, it says he took the cup and he said, This cup is the New Testament in my blood which is shed for you. And we can talk about that fruit of the vine and the potency of it and what type it is. But there's something more important that you better recognize before you get into that fight. Who instituted this? I want you to understand something when we gather around this table. This isn't something that Paul started with the early church and said, I think there's a way that I know we could memorialize Jesus the Christ. This wasn't something that the first evangelist came out and said, you know what, we really need to do something to remember the Savior. This wasn't something that our elders here in the church made up and said, you know what, the best way we could do this is to have some bread and some fruit of the vine and we could take care of that way. Because you know what all of those are? Those are traditions. This isn't a tradition. This isn't something that we can change as time goes by to make it more comfortable for us. This isn't something that we have any right or ability to change and make it our own. This was Jesus the Christ who said, there's a way I want you to remember me. And every time you partake of this, I want to make sure that I'm the one in your hearts and in your head. And I want you to remember me in my way. I don't care about your sacrifices. I don't care about your memorials. This memorial is for the remembrance of me. I want you to take the bread. Because the bread that you take is my body, which is given for you. I, the Son of God, want you to take the fruit of the vine. Because the fruit of the vine is the New Testament. It's a commemoration of my blood, which I'm going to shed for you. This do in remembrance of me. You ever thought about how important that is? This didn't take a committee or a group of people to get together and go, hey, what would be the best memorial? It didn't take some council or some 
evangelists getting together to say, you know what, let's pick some things out that might be a good memorial. This is the Son of God who said, here's the memorial. The memorial you're going to have for me is you're going to take of the bread, my body, and you're going to take of the fruit of the vine, my blood. And every time you do it, you're going to do it in remembrance of me. 1 Corinthians the 11th chapter, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. What is the most important thing you will do today? There's a lot of important stuff on everyone's plate. Every time you show love today, you're showing the fruit of God. Massively important. When you say hello, when you hug a loved one, an acquaintance, or a stranger, you're showing the spirit of the living God. Massively important. But when you gather around this table, when you gather around this table, you're showing the Lord's death till he comes. Do you believe that this morning? I mean this, do you believe that Jesus Christ is coming back? See, if he's not, we're wasting our time. If he's not coming back, then we have utterly wasted this morning. Because if he's not coming back, then he's not the Son of God. And he, if he's not the Son of God, then what we've done here this morning isn't worship. But when we gather around this table, we'll know that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God. And his, he gave his body for you and I on that cross. And in doing so, he shed his blood that you through obedience might have remission of sins. That's called salvation. That you might be a child of God. If you're not a child of God this morning, it is the most important decision you will make in this lifetime. If you're not a child of God this morning, it is by far the most important decision that will determine eternity for you. If you're not a child of God this morning, we stand prepared to assist you and be obedient to the will of God. Being buried with him in baptism, arising to walk in the newness of life. Just as every one of those on the day of Pentecost did in Acts 2. If you are a child of God, that, but there's something that we can pray with you or for you. We'd, we'd encourage you to come forward and have a seat here on the front row as we stand and sing the song that's been selected.